0: Somebody asked a request of me. Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago if I'd talk about heaven a little bit. He said, it's been a long time since you talked about heaven, and I'm happy to do that. Speaking of request, I understand that the doctor who discovered the, uh, the physical ailment of wheat intolerance, which affects a lot of people, I guess that guy passed away last week, and uh, during the funeral arrangements in the paper, it said the family requested no flour. <laughs> I can't help it, man. That was laid right out there in front of me. I also understand that uh, you should not accept a request from family or friends on your computer or cell phone from Hormel Food. It's probably spam. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Wow, I got one. Missed me, didn't you? I got one more. So this guy's scheduled for an execution. His last request was that the pastor held his hand through the whole process. Needless to say, the pastor was shocked. Okay, so I'm I'm moving on this morning. I want to talk about heaven, but specifically, I want to talk about how you get to heaven this morning. There's only one way. Jesus. I mean, that's it. I'm telling you, there is truth everywhere you look today. You can find truth. You can find it here, you can find it there, but there's only one truth that makes any difference that is always absolute truth, and that is this. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And if you have a problem with that, I'd like for you to take it up with Him because He said it, I didn't. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now, that was a very controversial thing for Him to say then, pretty controversial to say today. Sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it, really, when you think about it? It's our way or no way, you know what I mean? I mean, at best, that leads to arrogance. At worst, it leads to fights and violence all over the world. It's powerful. I mean, some people even think, well, if you're telling me up front that uh, if I don't believe the way you believe, I'm going to hell, then we got nothing else to talk about. So this is a very important passage of Scripture this morning, what's in it and how we view it. And it goes way beyond spiritual arrogance and intolerance and contempt for other people. This can be tragic because I'm going to tell you something really honest this morning. Some of the most arrogant, smug, judgmental, exclusive, self-righteous, obnoxious, superiors, I'm right and you're wrong, cranky attitudes that I see today are in Christians. And you know why I could say that? Because I know a lot of Christians and because I am a Christian. And if I'm not constantly careful, I mean constantly careful, I have that stuff in me. And so do you. So I'm asking this morning as we talk about this subject that we keep words handy like repentance and humility and not for the person sitting next to you. I'm talking about for you and for me because this is powerful stuff we're talking about. I think uh, it's pretty obvious all of us know today that we should tolerate people and maybe not even like them, but we have to tolerate. I mean, there are so many beliefs today, so many ideas. We talk about this every week, not just political, but now all the social stuff. And now to, right now, medical stuff, medical opinion. People are even fighting over that kind of stuff, you know? And we need to remind ourselves that we're not called to just tolerate each other. We're called to love each other that's a big difference, you know? And, and that doesn't mean that we have to agree with one another and our philosophies and our ideas and our political agendas and all kinds of stuff, but we got to love each other anyway. That's what Jesus championed always. I mean, I'm, not, I'm just telling you, there are people in this room right now that are as far away from me as they can get politically. Doesn't make any difference. We love each other in Christ a lot. I mean, there are people in this room right now that aren't even on the same radar. They're not even in the same time zone as me when it comes to these hot-button social issues. But again, it doesn't make any difference. We love each other in Jesus Christ. That's the way He was. That's what drew people to Him because even though they didn't agree with Him, He was so humble, He drew people to Him. But again, we read this passage. This doesn't sound very humble. This sounds pretty arrogant. And we need to talk about it. A preacher by the name of Scott Scruggs said years ago, the best way to understand this passage is to work backwards through it. And it won't take care of all the controversy in it, but it, it, it helps understand it. And I tried that. It. it made a lot of sense to me, and I wanted to share it with you because that's what I do with my sermons. I find something I get really excited about, and I can't wait, to sh- can't wait to share it with you. So let's walk backwards. Let's start with the first word, and the first word is heaven. And you say, well, that's not even in there. Sure it is. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except by me. He's talking about heaven. Now, most people uh, believe there is life after death, and most people believe in heaven, and most people like the idea of heaven, although we don't have a whole lot of adult conversations about it. We have jokes about heaven, and we have cartoons about heaven, but we don't talk a lot about it. Again, most people want to go there, but most people aren't in a real big hurry to get there, you know? It's kind of like the two, friends. This an old story. You heard the guys, love, they love to play golf together, and the question was always, will there be golf in heaven? Because they always heard that heaven's a place you, where you get to do the things you want to like, and, and they like golf. So they made a pact. Whoever died first would get back with the other one, and sure enough, one of the guys died. And two weeks later, his friend had a vision. It was him, and he said, you know, concerning this deal with golf in heaven, oh, good news and bad news. The good news is there is golf in heaven, and it is glorious, man. It's wonderful. The bad news is you tee off Friday at 9 o'clock. Now, you didn't laugh a whole lot about that the first time I told it, but, but here's my point. Why is, why is that bad news? Well, part of the reason it's bad news is we have a real dim view of heaven, I think, most of the time. Most people see heaven as an eternal fun factory. You know what I mean? Whatever gives you pleasure, that's heaven. So, for example, eternity on a beach, if that's your thing, or eternity in the mountains, or eternity in Alaska, or Hawaii, whatever's pleasurable for you, that's heaven. And that naturally leads to the assumption that everybody wants to go there, and i got to tell you, that's not even close to true. Not everybody wants to go to heaven. In fact, the most important thing... I think we can learn about heaven, and you're probably thinking, how in the world do you know what the most important? Have you ever been there? No, but I've read a lot from Jesus who has been, and he's very clear the most important thing we need to understand about heaven is it is a with God life, an uninterrupted life with God. That's what heaven is. When I was a kid growing up in church, my dad's favorite song was In the Garden. Remember that song? And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever. No, remember that? That's heaven. That's life with God. That's the picture that we have of heaven. That's the theme throughout the entire Bible. God created us to be with us. John says in Revelation 21, 13, Now the dwelling place of God is with His people, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and He Himself will be with them and be their God. Heaven is is a with God life, which is an amazing deal. And, And then we get this phrase, eternal life. That's pretty important, too. We throw that word around like we do the word billion, like we understand what it is. We really don't. But Jesus gives a real clear picture of that too in John 17, 3. He says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. It's not a fun factory, it's uninterrupted life with God. Now, here's the deal God is not in heaven, heaven is in God. I think if we're not careful, we shrink God down a bunch. And we can't think of heaven as some corporate headquarters where we can find God if we need Him. God's bigger than that. In fact, John said in that same passage in verse 22, I did not see a temple there because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are His temple. What's that mean? That just means God is everywhere in heaven. He's everywhere. And this is very important for us to get because that means heaven will be a very hard place to avoid God. If you don't hear anything else this morning about heaven, hear this. Heaven will be a place where it's, no, it's not hard. It will be impossible to avoid God. And the reason this is so important to us, if you happen to be one of those people right now who don't like to spend a lot of time alone with God for one reason or another, then heaven's just not going to be the place for you. That's just the truth. I don't want to get too confused before we even get started. It's probably too late for that, but I want to do an exercise, maybe clear it up for us. I'd like you to raise your hand if you've ever committed a nasty sin that you don't want anybody ever to find out about. Okay, we've got a few truthful people, and the rest of you are liars. Those of us with our hands up are going to heaven, the rest of you, hmm. Now, here's my point. We've, I know human beings because I've read the Scripture, and I know everybody in here has a potential, a propensity for evil in our hearts and our minds, and we've all done nasty things. Here's something else I know about it. None of us did those nasty things in the same room with our mother. Because if you did that in the same room with your mother, it would take all the fun out of it. If You're going to commit a nasty sin. You want to do it away from your mom. Man, oh man, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, you don't want to do anything in, your, in the presence of your mother that she disapproves of. You see where I'm going with this? Folks, in heaven, there's no place where God is not. Once you get there, there's no place to go to do those kinds of things. I mean, if you feel like gossiping a little or hoarding a little, if you feel like you need to be a little judgmental or critical or sarcastic, or I'm better than you, or I'm right and you're wrong, you want to be selfish, you feel like having a little lust, where are you going to go in heaven to do that? The answer is nowhere. God is everywhere. Heaven is not a fun factory. It's a place, a community of people. Where qualities like humility and generosity of spirit, honesty and truthfulness and commitment and loving people are as predictable there as gravity is here. And I'm just telling you, if you like sin, heaven's going to be a miserable place for you. It just is. You know, uh, before we went smoke-free in Bloomington, I could not get Angie to go to the Cloverleaf restaurant. It used to be where the cozy table is now. And they had a smoking section and a non-smoking section. And the only thing that separated it was a piece of plexiglass that went up about this high. And so if you were a smoker, it's no big deal. You could have three or four and not even light up. But if you were a non-smoker, oh, my goodness, it's miserable because there's smoke everywhere. You understand in heaven, God is everywhere. And nothing can change that. Not death. Nothing can interrupt it. That's the first word. Let's work backwards. Here's number two. Uh, We need a way to get there. And again, if we misunderstand heaven, we misunderstand this, because people, we don't need a way to be allowed to get into heaven. We need a way to become people who want to get to heaven. We need somebody that will change us into the kind of people where heaven will be a right, nice place, a welcome place for us to spend eternity in. We need help. Remember the old song, a Rock of Ages? There was a, a sobering verse in it. It says, Be of sin, the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Remember that? Sin needs a double cure. Sin is nasty, and it brings the wrath of God. Why? Because it messed everything up. messed up His creation. and messed us up, and God has nasty wrath towards sin. And we need to save from that wrath. Praise God, through Jesus Christ, we have it. But I, and I don't want to speak for God, but I think saving us from sin was the easy part. Making us pure, that's the tough part. And you know why? I'm sure you do. Because most of us, if we're honest, we don't want to be pure, not completely. You know, we pray things like, "Lord, please help me, man. I've watched some nasty, raunchy stuff on my TV and my computer. Please help. I don't want to do that anymore. I feel so bad when I do that." Ooh, wait, I got free HBO and Skinamax this weekend. I got a new laptop. Can we start next week? Lord, please help me with this drinking issue. I mean, I, you know, I used to just drink a little bit. Now it's out of hand. Would you help me not to drink? But I got a party tonight. Can we start Monday? I want a short snort. You know what I mean? Lord, sex outside of marriage, I know is against your will, and I do it, and I feel bad when it's done. Would you help me not do it again? Wait a minute. Did I say never, ever? Here's my point, family. If we don't want that kind of life with God here, if that kind of pure life you know, stifles us now. How in the world are we going to want to go to heaven where none of that's ever possible? People sometimes put it like this Do you mean to tell me because I'm a Christian I'm going to hell? No. You're going to hell because you're a sinner. <laughs> and so am I. And my point is the last thing in the world a sinner wants is to be in the ceaseless presence of a holy, holy, holy God where there's never a possibility to even think about sinning. We need help. One preacher put it like this, God will allow anybody in heaven who can stand it. And being the sin-addicted person that I am, I could not stand to be in heaven. I need somebody to help me to become the kind of person that can stand heaven to be that kind of person, and that's Jesus. Uh, Another problem we have with seeing heaven as a fun factory is we start thinking about who's going to make the cut. Is there a cut line? You know, how, how little can I believe and still get in? Uh, how many mistakes can I make in all these social issues? How many of them can I get wrong and still get in? How mean is God going to be to me on the day of judgment? You know what we're really asking? What we're really asking here is, what are the minimum requirements to get me into heaven when I die? Now, we would never say that out loud because that sounded goofy, even me saying it. But here's the problem with that. You're not going to find any place in the Bible where Jesus says, I'm here to proclaim to you the minimum requirements to get into heaven when you die. You're not going to find it. It's not in there. I've looked for it. If it, if it was there, I'd have found it because that would be real useful information to have. But it's not there for a pretty good reason. Love never deals with minimums, ever. In my wedding day, if I would come to Angie and say, Babe, what is the least amount of commitment you'll take from me and still marry me? What's the least amount of promises and affirmations? What's the smallest amount of fidelity that you'll put up with and still be my wife? There would have been no ceremony. Because love doesn't deal with minimums. Now, it's true that God said in 2 Peter 3, 9, He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But listen to me carefully. We cannot overestimate God's justice. We cannot overestimate His love. But we can't underestimate our sin. We need help here. We need a way. I was reading about Joseph Stalin last week. You talk about there's a lot of darkness in that one person. He killed millions of people. Do you know what I read when he couldn't sleep at night? You know how he got himself to sleep? He didn't count sheep, he counted the names of the victims that he was going to execute the next day. This is an evil man. And it would be my guess if you were having a conversation about Joseph Stalin and you were having a conversation about heaven and you were having a conversation about the cutoff line, most everybody would say Joseph Stalin was south of the cutoff line, right? Most everybody except one, right? Joseph Stalin. Why? Because that's human nature. When it comes to judgment, we want God to grade on a curve. We we want to break we want him to judge you really hard, but he want, we want him to be really easy on me, you know? Two brothers, nasty brothers. They were evil. One of them died, and the other one went to the preacher, and he said, I'm going to pay you a lot of money to do my brother's funeral, but there's one condition. you got to call him a saint. The preacher thought, man, this is going to be hard to do, but he, he worked it out. The eulogy, he said, this man laying in front of me today was a scoundrel, a criminal, a bully, and a thief but compared to his brother sitting right there, that guy was a saint. You know what I mean? That's how, we, that's how we view things. When it comes to our judgment with God, we, we want God to judge everybody around us for not doing this, this, and this, but be real easy on me, right? Can we be reminded that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everybody who said to me, Lord, Lord's going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. My point is it's Jesus only. His teachings are the only way. I'm telling you, family, there is truth everywhere out there. You can prove to me what you're trying to prove to me on this internet store, and I'll go to that internet site and prove just the opposite. I'm following the science, Jim Kane. Yeah, well, this scientist says this, and this scientist says that. There's truth everywhere, but the only truth we have right now is Jesus Christ. And we got to be in that truth. People need that truth. His life can become a guide for us. His death can become forgiveness for us. His resurrection becomes hope for us. And His Spirit inside of us helps us become the kind of people that can't wait to get to heaven. And when that happens, His community in heaven becomes the community down here. That's why we have such a grand time in here this morning. i got to hurry. Word number three is only. Jesus is the only way. That's why this claim is such a tough claim. But I'll tell you what it doesn't mean when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to father. What that does not mean is we can be closed-minded to other people and not talk to other people who don't agree with us. I mean, how in the world are we going to evangelize or learn anything if we do that? But I'm going to tell you something else it doesn't mean. I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but I'm just going to tell you straight up. This also means that when you see the truth of God's Word violated today, and you know it's been violated you can't just say, well, it's okay. We got to love everybody. We got to let the Bible keep up with the times. The Bible's got to evolve too. Oh no, it doesn't. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if the truth is the truth 2,000 years ago, the truth is the truth today. You and I need to preach the truth. And here's the truth. We've been talking about it all morning. If you have any interest at all into going to heaven when you die, any interest at heaven at all, you need to find the person that can help you become the person to which heaven seems to be like a nice fit to you. And his name is Jesus. That's the only way. But the truth we speak, man, we've got to remember to speak it in love because the Bible speaks as arrogance as much a big a barrier to God as getting things wrong. You hear me? In other words, scriptural arrogance is a lot bigger deal to God than to get a social issue wrong or to get a scripture misrepresented. In fact, he said in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. God doesn't oppose people who got it wrong, who misinterpreted, who heard the wrong science or the wrong. What God opposes is people who get proud in their heart and self-righteous in their heart, and right, no matter what. And we need to pray about that because we've all got that in us right now. And the problem with having a proud heart is you don't realize you have a proud heart. So we need to pray on that. Remember I said up front, we've got to have humility and repentance close at hand this whole sermon. I've got to get us down to the altar. We've got one more word. We don't need religion. We don't even need Christianity. What we need is somebody that has the power to make this happen for us. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can cause our hearts to be transformed into the kind of people we need to do, to be. I mean, he's in the heart transformation business. He's a doctor. That's what he does for a living. And he's in the room right now. He's in this building right this minute. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor as I walk down. Would just kind of humor me here. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? Just close your eyes. Let's just take a minute of silence here. Just, not even a whole minute. Just... Just sit here for just a minute. Thank you, Jesus, for that breath. And for that breath. And for everyone. Family, the, way, the truth and the life is in the building right now. Can you feel him? ready to touch and transform, change you into his likeness. Okay, thanks. I'm going to remind you of a friend of mine, Ed Daly. He's a neighbor of mine. up. He is a clear example of what I'm talking about this morning. Here, here's a guy, Ed Daly lived most, no, he lived all of his life as a person who the last place he'd want to be would be in heaven. Because he didn't want anything to do with God. He didn't want anything to do with the Bible. And he was living life the way he wanted to live it. Um, wit- I witnessed to him several times when my mom tried, you know how she was. He never wanted to hear it, but we remained close friends. And, and he's a classic example of an 11th hour Christian. Um, he got prostate cancer at age 48. And even then, he wouldn't talk to me about spiritual things. But it became pretty obvious over the next year or two that it was terminal, and it kept getting worse. And as happens in a lot of cases, as he got close to the end, he started to allow me to talk to him a little more about the Lord and actually let me pray with him, and I got to read some text from him. And two weeks before this friend of mine died, two weeks, the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, came after him. And this Jesus that I was talking to you about this morning, the same one we preach about everywhere in here, got a hold of him and transformed this friend of mine into a person that could not wait to get to the throne of God. It's amazing to watch. See, Ed Daly did not need somebody to show him how to get to heaven, he needed somebody to turn him into a time of person that couldn't wait to get there. And that's Jesus Christ. It starts right here, that's why he came. That's why his body got broken. His blood got shed. And when we move around this table this morning, don't take that lightly. He saved your eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, so much. You're just an amazing Savior. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. We praise and lift up your name.